Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season this Wednesday, June the 22nd, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 19. This is a, a part, of the, part of scripture where to say the light of Jesus shines on us might be a little bit difficult to see. But we do see the reason why we need the light of Jesus in this world. We spoke yesterday about the need for, uh, well, the need for wrath, wrath to be put upon the sin that we do. And today we do see that wrath, which I challenge you to make sure that when you do see these realities, that you do remember this, that the wrath of God was placed on Jesus. Without the cross, these stories, these true stories in history are very dark. But with, with Christ, there's always light and there's always hope. And so we pray that those Christ goggles may be upon us. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Phil Hoppe of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas. Pastor Hoppy, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. Very good to be with you to discuss this uh, interesting uh, and, like you said, text that is kind of hard to swallow at first, maybe, some of this stuff, but uh, indeed ultimately leads us to uh, repentance and then to Christ. And Pastor, I like how you, I like how you said that, and I want to get to that point, but you are not in Finland's and Bruno, Minnesota anymore. Tell us about that. I know you've been on other programs. I think this is our first time together since you have moved. Am I wrong or am I right? I can't remember. Oh, I think that's correct. Yeah. So yeah, I took a call uh, to Kansas here, uh, Colby, Kansas, which is way out in western Kansas, right on the interstate uh, in the middle of January was installed. So still getting uh, to know the people and the church and the congregation and the community, things like that. But uh, we're trying to, to settle in here. We uh, we do miss uh, things about Minnesota, and uh, we're also, though, growing uh, to enjoy more and more things here and getting to you know know the saints of God here and their particular gifts as well. Well, and and yeah, I'll say this too, because uh, Pastor Hoppy was in, in our district, and we miss the Hoppy family as well. And one of the great joys that I had was I drove up to northern Minnesota to uh, uh, to an installation, I believe it was, and I just stopped at the Hoppy home at that time. So a shout out to all the Hoppies. Hopefully they're going to listen listen with us today. Um, but shout out to them because when I came over, all seven all seven kids were huddling around, hanging out with me, and I was like, "This is really great." You know, my kids don't ever um, hang around me, so this is really <laughs> fun. So greet greet your family. Uh, we do miss you, but we're very happy that you are serving in Colby. So greet greet everybody there and God's blessings upon you and your family. I will do that and I will make them listen. So they will have no choice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so pastor, as we, as we look at that, the blessings, uh, in, can you begin our time in prayer? Yeah, let us pray. Uh, Almighty God, we come to you this day as we open your word again. Grant us your spirit, uh, that one who comes alongside of us to not only comfort us, but to give us understanding into all the things uh, that are yours, all the things that are Christ. Uh, we pray this day that uh, he would be our companion as we look uh, way back uh, into time and history and in the scriptures 
uh, to hear about times when you poured out wrath rightly upon sin, uh, but also grant us your comfort of knowing that Jesus Christ is the one that ultimately bore your wrath in order that we might have salvation. We ask it in his holy name. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, and there might be many, because this is a very unique, uh, well, it's a well-known text and very important for us to interpret it correctly. So if you do have questions upon this text, uh, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. We'll begin by hearing the word of God. We are in Genesis chapter 19. We are reading from the English Standard Version. And as we read this, it is about destruction and debauchery and immorality. So I just remind you that if there is anybody that's listening that maybe is, you know, you don't want to listen to some of those things, then I encourage you to use your discretion. But it is important because it does show us that this is a very real story. This is real world stuff. And it makes us realize the depth of sin and darkness in our world, which is why we need Christ. And that's what we focus on this morning. So we hear uh, Genesis chapter 19, verses 23 till the end of chapter 19. We hear the word of God. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and onward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, a smoke, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst to overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot, Lot went up to Zoar, went up out of Zoar, excuse me, and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. And we will lie with him, and we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with their father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and she did not know where she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is a father of Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called him Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the word of our Lord today. Pastor, everything happens in the context. How do you want to start us off? Well, I think obviously, again, uh, you know, if we go back uh, here, we see this town of Sodom and all the evil that is there. Um, You know, we have this whole account of these visitors coming and uh, the whole account of them, you know, wanting uh, essentially to 
uh, sodomize, you know, we get that word there, uh, the guests uh, that are in Lot's house. Um, and we get, I mean, just everything there is a mess, right? Even the the supposed solution there, right, of sending the daughters out, we look at and go, well, gosh, that doesn't seem quite right either, right? No. I mean, <laughs> everything just seems a mess there. And it is. And this is one of those particular times where God's uh, wrath is poured out temporally uh, upon this city. Uh, and right before this, we should remember that Abraham uh, will, you know, we hear about him in our uh, text today also. But Abraham has just pleaded uh, for this city and has pleaded with those particularities that asking God if he would spare the city for the sake of even 10 righteous people. And here we see uh, by, you know, we can just understand that obviously he did not find 10 righteous people in that city. And so now he takes the action of destroying the city. So that's kind of the context coming in uh, is just, again, like you said, this, this debauchery that is everywhere and now God pouring out his wrath upon it. And, and that's an important reality when we, when we look at this, I say this a lot, and, and I know you say it a lot too as you teach, to put on Christ's goggles is, why is that important as we read this? Because if you just read Genesis 19 and you had no cross, I mean, that leaves us in a very, very dark spot. Now, we, sometimes we don't want to go there too quickly because if people are like, well, you know, you know, I'm not really that sinful, that's a problem. But also, we don't want to end there either. Pastor, as you preach and teach, I know you always look at things in, in a Christ-centered way. Why is it important for us to be able to look at this in the whole light of Scripture? Well, yeah, I think quite frankly, again, if if we don't have Christ in view, uh, this kind of story will just lead us to utter despair, right? We will uh, recognize our own sinfulness and we'll say, gosh, the only thing that could happen to us might indeed happen to us like it happened in Sodom and will simply be destroyed uh, and that will be the end. And so if we're only looking at it that way, uh, we're just led to despair. And we know again that that is not uh, ever God's end uh, that he desires for us is that we would just despair of our sins and be destroyed. Now, he wants us uh, to turn from those sins, to turn to him in repentance. Uh, then he gives us, right, that great grace and mercy of God. So, uh, you know, the, the law is, uh, you know, as it's been said, I guess, right, a hammer uh, that crushes us, but uh, not to remain crushed, right, but to be put back together uh, by Christ's grace and mercy. And so, you know, we do have to remember that, even though, you know, when we speak historically here, we're quite a ways away from Christ actually coming. Uh, but blessedly, you and I know uh, what God ultimately did about sin and what he ultimately does for us in regards to our own sins. So it's good to always know the rest of the story. So as we look at our uh, Genesis 19, it, it, there's, there's an interesting dynamics uh, to this that, uh, how do you say it? You have an interesting dynamic with Lot. And I just wanted to bring this up. He seems to be a guy that uh, is kind of, he likes to barter with God and be like, well, you know, um, or barter in this whole situation. Like, well, I don't really want to go to, I don't want to go to the hills. I just want to go to Zor or Zorar. And, and I want to do this. And then his daughters kind of barter stuff. It just seems like there's just this crazy lack of 
trust in in God. Any any thoughts on Lot? I think he's an interesting character throughout this whole thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I would call him very complex, right? I mean, because, you know, second uh, Peter lists him, you know, as an example of a righteous man in the sense that when he was in Sodom, we're told that he, you know, he looked at what was going on around him and he grieved. And I always think that description is one that, you know, maybe we are much more sympathetic with these days. And even maybe we were, you know, a couple decades ago, but that we can just look and go, oh man, look at, look at all this mess all around us. So, so he's described that way, you know, in second Peter. And yet, you know, when we're getting into the details of the story, I think you're right. He always seems to be asking for a little bit of an out or can we do things that aren't quite right so we can get this done. Um, and even, you know, we'll get to this a little bit later, but, you know, when we're told uh, later that, you know, really told that God saved Lot for the sake of Abraham. Um, mm-hmm. And that's an interesting contrast there too. Why not Lot for Lot's sake if he was uh, a righteous man? And yet there's kind of this sense there that Abraham is just the promised believer. And like you said, Lot uh, is a little more complex, right? He he does He does have these righteous moments where he mourns sin in the world, but then the next second he kind of wants, uh, you know, a little bit of an out. And, and so, like you said, I mean, that really takes us kind of to the beginning of the, the text there where, like you said, he's in Zoar instead of going to the mountains where the Lord had originally uh, told him to go. So he's kind of in this uh, city that's just at the edge of the valley instead of going fully into the mountains. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's something we'll dig into. So let's dig in. We'll do 23 through 25. Uh, and and learn a little bit more. So here we go. The sun has had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, one thing that, interesting enough, so can you tell us a little more about Zoar? I guess I haven't really, we haven't really talked about how far away it was, where, you know, is this like in this, like, ravine that is, you know, there's no problems there because it's better than the mountains, evidently? I don't know. Any, anything on Zoar that you have? Right. Well, I think in general, you know, they're, like we said, Lot kind of asked to go there. Uh, I know Luther in his commentary really suggests that Zoar, uh, would have been destroyed in this initial uh, pouring out of sulfur and fire um, if Lot was not there. So uh, Luther suggests that, you know, this was originally part of this whole valley that's going to be burned up. But since Lot is there, uh, it, it's not burned up, but it's, it's you know, it's right there, like I said, kind of on the edge of the valley. I'm sure the, the you know, the smell of the fire was uh, certainly present there. Uh, again, I'm never sure exactly, you know, whether Luther is just speculating or if he has other sources, but his contention is later. Later that when uh, Lot leaves Zoar, that Zoar is then destroyed as well. Um, mm. I can't find uh, you know any biblical reason necessarily to to get that, but it's kind of his overall contention there is that this is sort of to be thought of originally as part of the cities, and it's I mean in that sense it's almost kind of weird because it's almost a Lot's wife 
kind of moment, right? Where he, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> Lot doesn't want to totally leave the valley. Uh, and again, here, I think we probably do see uh, God's mercy uh, upon Lot. And maybe we say here, uh, for the sake of Abraham already, right? They're kind of like the, uh, you know, we have the the story of Jesus healing the paralytic for the faith of his friends, right? And I wonder if we don't want to keep that in mind throughout this, that perhaps if God dealt with Lot just as he should have, maybe maybe Zoar would have went under uh, right away as well. Uh, but for the sake of Abraham, and also I think the sake of, you know, continuing this line of people, uh, he has mercy and lets Lot use this as a, a city of refuge instead of a city that would be destroyed. Oh, I'm into that. And it's, yeah, we always want to see that dab of grace or the extension of mercy. You know, that's that's something that we see in the Psalms. Remember your mercy, O Lord, your steadfast love for your people, because that's what he promises. So, and he shows it in small ways. Anything else? So it, it rains sulfur. This is almost incomprehensible. Any thoughts on on, on the event itself? Because it really is hard to even envision. Right. So, um, you know, I think this is one of those things where we probably in the end too well to just say this was a huge event. This was the pouring out of wrath on a massive scale. I mean, I, I guess I almost want to say that only, you know, uh, very similar to the flood with the exception that it's not worldwide, right? It's it's mm. this local, uh, but it's a complete destruction. I mean, you know, listen, even there, he overthrew the cities and all the valley and everybody in it, right? And then even what grew on the ground, he says, you know, so it's, I mean, every bit of life is just extinguished. And when you read a little bit more uh, about this, you know, you understand um, the magnitude of what God did here. And even, you know, people will comment that to this day, you know, this area around the Dead Sea uh, is still a fairly lifeless area. And, you know, to think about that, that this many years later, there is still sort of evidence of God's wrath. And it shows the nature of the, ma- you know, of, I guess, yeah, the magnitude of what God did here. Um, again, and I, I think as we see this, this is where, you know, like you said, we ultimately want to run to Christ, but we don't want to run too quickly. We want to actually take in uh, the extent of God's wrath that is just upon sin uh, in order that we might truly repent. I think sometimes, right, we just kind of go, all right, God's God can't be all that mad about sin because it's kind of everywhere. And, you know, it's what's the what's the big deal? What does he expect anyway? ways. We read a story like this and we should stop for a second and, uh, you know, be terrified for one moment, right? Not be led to despair through that terror, but rather to be led uh, to repentance. But I mean, they've, if, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. If you look up uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, there are modern archaeologists that are digging in this area that have no uh, regard for the scriptures necessarily, who still talk about the unique character of this area. They say something happened here. In fact, you know, the one kind of the major, I guess you would say, theory now is modern, you know, kind of secular archaeologists. So again, not Christians. Uh, they believe there was a space rock that uh, fell and exploded over this area. And one of the things I read said they think it had a thousand times the power of the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. can't even imagine, right? And and uh, uh, you know, again, we we don't want to just you know speculate with them. And again, we would we would disagree with probably what caused this, uh, and look to it being more of just a, a supernatural event. Although that doesn't mean God did not use material to do it, right? It says sulfur mm-hmm. and fire, uh, but at the same time, it just shows. This was a. This was. I mean, just a massive thing. And un. You know, we can't can't imagine. Uh, you know, to look at a city today that would have went through this. I, I don't even think we would know what to do, right? If we were there looking at the ruins. I mean, we've. You know, we see hurricanes and tornadoes, and those are horrific uh, enough. But this was far worse. Far worse. And it's always interesting when you're able to see the world through the lens of Scripture and Christ that it does make sense that there's there's a reality when you're able to look through the lens of, you know, for example, the flood, and we went through that in Genesis here, that you're able to look at the Grand Canyon in a whole different way, you know, that right. you're able to look at different parts of the world in a whole different way of understanding of, yeah, that could have happened. I mean, when we look through the lens of faith. Now, if you don't look it through the lens of faith, you can say all these kind of, you know, magical, you know, interpretations when the whole time the interpretation is probably right there. Like, yeah, it might not have been, <coughs> excuse me, a star. It might have actually been exactly what Scripture says. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, be careful. That might actually be true. Um, anyway. Yeah. I mean, when you read those kind of articles, you're just going, yeah, either, you know, either all this stuff is space rock or perhaps just what God said, right? That would be the exact, you know, what you're saying you found would just confirm exactly what the scriptures say. So maybe maybe we should yield to that. The, the last thing I was going to mention is that some people actually believe that this event sort of created the Dead Sea. Um, right. You know, yeah, and it, it, it's this kind of interesting idea that, you know, uh, perhaps that was even sort of a fresh lake <laughs> before this. Uh, and now, you know, if you know of the Dead Sea, right, and the intense salt content there and all of that, um, you know, it really is amazing to think that, you know, if you ever are blessed to go over there to think, man, right, maybe this was caused by that event of scripture, uh, you know, just mind-blowing. And it is mind-blowing, too, because one of my members at my first parish, she had been to, you know, the Holy Land, and uh, her son-in-law was from the Middle East, and so they went, and she she told me that that they in the tour they looked at the Dead Sea and said this Dead Sea is there because of the 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 sulfur that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah in those days, which I yeah. thought was interesting that the tour guide was was saying those words explicitly. Yeah, um, right. So who knows what that what the what the reason was? But um, now, Pastor, there is something interesting in here uh, that in verse twenty four says the Lord. Yahweh, we would probably say, rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Any thoughts? We, uh, you know, we had Trinity Sunday recently. Is it something to do with that, or is it just a repetition? Is it some poetry? What are your thoughts on verse twenty-four? Yeah, it really is kind of an odd construction. You know, those that that study Hebrew are kind of baffled by this a little bit because it doesn't seem to be, you know, kind of a common way of speaking. And so, I really think it could be either. Right, that there's sort of this sense of, you know, one person of the Trinity, uh, you know, uh, giving 
between this to the other. Um, I think, you know, that's, it's a little bit harder to, you know, at least we wouldn't want to speculate too much on who we're talking about, right? Uh, you know, which person did what thing, but there's possible there. I tend to think it's more just a matter of uh, an emphasis of repetition, right? That mm-hmm. this whole event came from the Lord. You know, <laughs> he's the one that had this wrath in heaven and he's the one that poured it out upon the people. Uh, and so I think it's just to really get us to understand that, again, the true wrath that falls upon sin comes from God. And I, yeah, I think that is a, you know, the part of it is we just don't know. It is it is an interesting dynamic. This should be something that if Pastor Hoppy wants to go get his PhD, I think this would be a perfect thing to study for, I don't know, seven, eight years and see if we figure it out. What do you think? I'll get back to you. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> verse 26. Uh, verse 26. Excuse me. No, I already did verse 26. Okay, verse 26. This is a very commonly known part of Scripture where it speaks about how um, uh, Lot's wife uh, becomes a pillar of salt. So uh, tell us about that. Any, what do you find as Luther or other people have to say? Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it, this is kind of interesting to me in Luther that um, Luther really has a lot of compassion on Lot's wife here and, and really says, you know, this is just sort of a sin of weakness that, you know, she again did, and, and it's true, right? She obviously uh, is leaving in one sense, but then she looks back for a moment uh, and yet, even there, right, we would learn that if that is accurate, to still think about God's wrath being poured out even, you know, on a moment of weakness. And this is one of those things that really shows us what sin deserves, right? We might, again, think, well, you know, the sins I do are not worthy of God's wrath. But if you had like a serial killer, oh, yeah, God should be wrathful to them. And so, you know, I think there's an interesting way to look at this to just remind us that even the the smallest sin. Uh, but again, I would say Luther's, is, again, himself is sort of speculating on that a little bit. It's not right in the text. But, uh, you know, she is used uh, in the Gospel of Luke as an example there where in Luke 17, Jesus is actually talking about a different day of wrath that's coming, namely the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred in 70 AD. And he's blessedly telling his people that believe in him to flee the city before the coming wrath. And he just mentions there, remember Lot's wife, right? In other words, again, when you leave, leave. Uh, And Jesus tells us this often, right, that again, uh, we're not to start going and then turn back when we're thinking about his kingdom, right? That that when we start going, we're to, to walk uh, straight ahead, ultimately not because of, you know, a strength in ourselves, but because of a confidence uh, in his word and his promises that leads us forth. Well, good. So we'll dig more into that on the other side of our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 19 with Pastor Phil Hoppy, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. 
Welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 19 with Pastor Phil Hoppe of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas. Now, Pastor, before we get to the text, go back to the text. Biggest difference, northern Minnesota, western Kansas. What's the biggest difference you've seen? Uh, you can see the sun here in Kansas. So uh, <laughs> I always said in northern Minnesota, there were beautiful sunsets. You just couldn't see them. Uh, and here, especially out in western Kansas, there's very little to block your view. So uh, you get to see the the sunsets uh, in, in kind of all their glory. And, uh, and the other thing is, even though I, I know northern Minnesota has had some storms lately, uh, sort of the expectation of storms here uh, is certainly uh, something that I remember from, you know, being in Kansas and growing up in Oklahoma and something that it sounds weird, but I'm kind of enjoying, right? The the storms being an ever-present reality. But perhaps with this story we're looking at today, I need to remember, right, <laughs> uh, the Lord's destruction that can come and not, not stand out on my porch when he's doing his thing, perhaps. <laughs> And what did they say uh, um, when the when the tornado sirens go off is when people go outside to see what's going on as opposed to their basement. You see that quite <laughs> exactly. a bit. And you know, it's like, well, yeah. maybe that's not the purpose of those. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so Pastor, let's. Uh, anything else in verses twenty three through twenty six? I don't think so. I think we can go forward. Very good. So let's continue on verses twenty seven to twenty nine. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom Gomorrah. And toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So now we get Abraham into the story, and it's kind of a, uh, there's not a lot of information here, kind of a lot of words, but not a lot of information. What's happening? Well, yeah, interestingly here, Abraham basically goes back to the same place that he has pleaded for this city. And, you know, we might sort of forget that, you know, we sometimes when we read these accounts, uh, we might think that Abraham knows everything that's gone on. But obviously here he's going out to see what occurred, because really kind of where he leaves it with God is that God says if he finds 10 people, you know, he would spare the city. And so uh, he goes out and he looks and he sees uh, this smoke going up. And, uh, um, you know, the, the Hebrew word here uh, talks of kind of that smoke that's there when everything is just smoldering after complete destruction. So we're not talking to, you know, like getting to the the uh, fire uh, at a house fire while it's still raging. We're talking, you get there and everything's been laid low and there's just that smoke still coming up. And so it's, when he sees it, it is obvious that this destruction has happened and that it's complete. Uh, and, uh, you know, probably Abraham here mourns. What does he mourn? Well, I guess ultimately that there aren't even 10 righteous people in the city, right? And that God had to pour out that wrath. And yet at the same time, although Abraham doesn't know this exactly in the moment, uh, you know, he might even be more discouraged in this moment than we know because he doesn't know about Lot and what's happened to Lot. And yet we're told here from, you know, Moses as he records this, uh, that, you know, God had, because of Abraham, 
uh, sent Lot out of the midst of that overthrow. Uh, and so whether Abraham knows it or not, God has shown mercy. Uh, there were not the 10, but there was uh, Lot uh, and his family ultimately that are uh, saved. And so as we look at that, it is uh, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. That the unfortunate reality of this is it's much like our own lives where God remembers Christ, right? The Father remembers Christ, his mercy, uh, the forgiveness that we have. He uh, has is merciful to you and I, to, to you, our listeners. And yet we don't remember that that's there or we don't act like we remember that that is there. Pastor, that that can be quite kind of as we get to the next piece with Lot and his daughters, you kind of think there'd be a new life, a new repentant life full of forgiveness and full of grace and patience. But yet our lives don't always seem that way. What are your thoughts and how would you encourage our listeners in this reality? Yeah, no, I think you're you're absolutely right that in one sense, sometimes these things that happen that are God's mercy we don't stop long enough to recognize that they are God's mercy, right? And so, uh, again, uh, particularly Martin Luther, when he's writing on this, for this whole next section, will just talk, I mean, he talks about this with Abraham and Lot, that they're sort of just in a stupor at God's wrath being poured out. And so much so that they end up not walking in faith. Uh, not so much Abraham, but Lot and his daughters, uh, you know, but they're, they're in such a stupor over God's wrath that they fail to see his mercy. And like I said, the narrator then I think here being Moses uh, really calls us to not make that same mistake and to get that. No, God did show mercy even in the times, right? Whether it's in the flood, right? And him saving the eight or here, whether it's in Sodom and him saving the one, he does show mercy. And as you rightly pointed out, when we look at this uh, in terms of the, the new covenant and Christ, Right, we can understand this too. That the mercy that we receive uh, comes to us because God sees what Christ has done. He remembers that, and He gives us mercy. Those of us that look to faith escape even the things that we should endure because of our ongoing sin. So, as we look at these verses, it in many ways you think it couldn't get any worse. Um, and maybe it doesn't quite get worse. Like you said, that's an atomic bomb times a thousand um, happened. And so the grief, it doesn't show us the grief of Abraham, but yet it had to be there. Um, we see the overthrow. We see destruction everywhere. And so before we get to the next piece, because the next piece kind of puts us in a whole different kind of grief. Anything else that you have as we look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in verses 23 to 29? No, I think only though to kind of transition us to think that when we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, perhaps we look at this and go, yes, God should pour out his wrath because these are the wicked people uh, that are standing against God. These are the ones who uh, have perverted everything in their lives. And so we almost can kind of like look at this and go, yes, the wicked were punished. And I think as we transition into this next part, we're struck, right, because the the perversion and uh, you know, just the general mess here is now squarely among those who have been drawn out, uh, 
because uh, they are the most righteous, at least, I guess, if we can say it that way, uh, among the people that were in Sodom. And so, you know, we almost want to get out here and say, well, gosh, now here everything's going to be good because the wicked have been destroyed. Uh, but instead, no, we see here that's not quite what happens. Uh, and again, remembering back to the flood, we can remember, right, Noah uh, getting off the boat, and you might think everything's perfect there. Well, that doesn't go uh, too well right away either. And here we see that again in the case of the destruction of Sodom. Those who are rescued by God in mercy, but yet uh, because of their faith, their righteousness, uh, they come out and, and still do not live up to the new life that they should have uh, based on what they have seen. And that's, well, let's get to the text. We are looking at uh, verses 30 through 34. Let's start there. Um, yeah, we'll start there. So uh, we get to Lot and his daughters. Now Lot went up to Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he, he did not know when she lay down or when she arose." So, Pastor, we you know we have Lot, kind of one of those interesting dynamics that now he goes up to the hills, and that didn't well that didn't work out any better than Zoar. So, uh, with his two daughters, and what happens? How would you break this down? Because this is kind of uh, you know how, what 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 rating do we have on the scriptures? You know, is this a, is this a G? Is this a PG PG thirteen? I don't think we want to guess on that one, but where do you want to start with this? Right. No, I think, and as you mentioned, you know, there are parts of the scriptures, obviously, that um, we may refrain from telling younger Christians about early on, and and yet, you know, as we grow into maturity, we do need to deal with these things because these are very real things that happen in the world, even though. Uh, we sure wish wish that they weren't. Uh, and here again, like I said, you know, it's it's particularly tragic because these are the people that have come out of Sodom, and yet now, you know, where we have, um, you know, this. Uh, refusal to yield to authority, and we have the sodomy that's going on in in Sodom, and all those things going on. Now, all of a sudden, we're with those brought out, and now we get this story of incest, right, where we have these daughters uh, who, remember, we told were uh, probably betrothed, right? That we were told of their uh, husbands who were going to marry them, you know, soon. Uh, but but they were betrothed, right? Virgin girls here. Uh, that's what, you know, Lot says of them when, when he offers them back in Sodom. So you got all this stuff going on here. And all of a sudden now we're going to see, again, these girls uh, who were offered up for perversion in Sodom and Gomorrah now offer themselves up in a perverse way uh, here. The the whole thing, though, you know, starting even with him leaving Zoar, you know, you kind of go, okay, Lot, you know, God saved you out of this, and now you're still terrified, right? You're, it's almost, again, like he didn't get God's mercy at all, and he just thinks, well, I'm still in the valley. Maybe God will destroy this yet, too. Now, again, like I said, Luther suggests maybe he actually did do that after he left, but there's this whole kind of sense of, 
disbelief, living in fear, right? Even, I mean, he's partially living in a cave because that's what existed. But I think as we read that, right, in this part, that in this part of the country, that's where you would live. But as we read it, you know, he's living in a cave, he's hiding away. You almost think of it, you know, kind of like the disciples uh, in the upper room hiding for fear of the Jews. But here he's kind of hiding for fear of God, I would say. Uh, and there with his two daughters. And this is where, again, we need to think that, you know, uh, this, uh, these daughters are no doubt trying to figure out what has just happened and what does it all mean. And I don't think we want to mm. minimize that. They've just seen this entire valley destroyed in a way that no one had ever seen a place destroyed before. Let's not also forget that their mother has just died and be you know been turned into a pillar of salt. Um, they, they're a mess, right? And one thing they know for sure is that part of the role that God has given them is to continue the line of their father. And particularly in the Old Testament, uh, but though I think really throughout the scriptures, even up into our day, right, we get this sense that that initial command of God to be fruitful and multiply uh, is something that is always there and always something that we are to to consider. Why well, I said particularly in the Old Testament, right, is because at that point, we're still looking for this Christ child to be born. Uh, that promise from Genesis 3.15 that the seed would come that would crush the head of Satan. And so particularly in the Old Testament, not only is it just filling the earth, but it's also giving God every opportunity to send forth the Christ child. So they're a mess. They don't know what's going on. The one thing they know is that they have a role to preserve offspring. We're told here, too, you know, that they, for whatever reason, right, uh, believe that there are no men left that they can take as husbands and, and kind of go about the normal way of preserving the line. Now, is this because they wonder uh, you know, you see these movies in modern day sometimes now where, you know, the whole world is destroyed and there's sort of this one person that lives <laughs> and they're trying to kind of figure out what to do with that. Uh, mm. I'm not sure that's all, you know, at all unlike what these daughters are thinking. They, you know, they didn't have, uh, you know, Facebook or something to go on and see, oh, no, everybody else is safe, right? For all they know, this destruction has been poured out more than just on the valley uh, there where Sodom and Gomorrah are. Uh, but, you know, so whether it's, you know, that they don't think literally there's any men left, whether they don't think there's any men close enough because of the destruction close to, to them, um, or, you know, if, if they uh, also saw one suggestion that they may even feel like no man would want to take them as a wife because of their association with this city of Sodom. I don't know, you know, I, all those are, again, kind of speculations, but for whatever reason, they believe that won't happen. And so what they do is they decide they will come up with a plan of how to make sure that their father's line will still be preserved. Think about how many times in the scriptures we have somebody come up with a plan about how to have a baby <laughs> in ways mm -hmm. that God does not say is good. And that goes back to Sarah and Hagar. I right. mean, it's just a very blatant, similar situation where God has a promise now, in this case, he doesn't. They don't give a direct promise to Lot and uh, his daughters, but it does, you know, to to be fruitful, and multiply. That's there. Well, if you think, you know, possibly the world has, you know, been destroyed, which you know uh, could have happened in their world at least, 
that you're like, okay, what do we do here? That's why you're right. We do have to be patient, more patient with looking at them and what's happening in their lives because what would we do in that situation? So there is some grace we have to extend to them, even though still in our day and age, like uh, this kind of sexual morality is still unaccepted. If you were to talk to even the most far out there liberal person understanding the scriptures, most of them, I should say most, I can't say all, most of them would still be against incense. You know, they'd be like, no, that's wrong in every case. Why? Well, it just is. Right. And so this one is still very much so a very graphic reality to this. And, uh, you know, and the reality is any sexual sin outside of a husband and wife is very graphic. I mean, this is not what we want, but for whatever reason, we still kind of, oh, this one's really, really bad. And we have to remember a lot of different factors that go into this. And also, once again, like you said so well, repent of our own sins. Other thoughts? Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Uh, Even in our world, right, that has okayed almost every form of sexuality, uh, still you're right that most people would still say, no, incest is, you know, off off the charts. Um, And again, when we see this among those called out of Sodom, uh, it does strike us. And yet we want to kind of just say, uh, you know, when we look at this, that they are doing it for a godly reason, but they're doing it wrongly. But the other thing we have to say there is it's still wrong. Uh, you know, right, the intention right. does not get rid of the sin. And this is where we, we, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a mile a minute here because you made a lot of really good points on this, is the reality that when somebody sins, we, in compassion, as our Lord Jesus, you know, it's like the, 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 the father with the prodigal son coming home, has compassion upon him. But he, the father does not say, yeah, it doesn't matter the sin you did as far as that there were no sins. There's, there's definitely a, a, <laughs> a forgiveness piece to that. There's a repentance piece to that. And with something like this, we can sometimes act like, well, they're kind of stressed. Therefore, it's no longer sin or no longer an issue. Like, well, we, don't, we can't go that far. But it does lead us to the understanding of having compassion with one another um, and patience. We pray for that gift of the Holy Spirit because we don't, the, the, the surrounding chaos does not justify sins. Jesus justifies sins. And so we have to always make that, that fine line of making sure that we have compassion with people and we pray people are compassionate with us. At the same time, keeping that line to say, this is still wrong. And I love how you brought that up. So I, I wanted to kind of ask if you wanted to expand on that a little bit when we when we live in the church and we live in our homes and we live in our neighborhoods, the need for us to be compassionate, but yet still bold in what we believe, teach and confess. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there is a real temptation in our modern Christianity to think again that intention is the thing that justifies sin, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I, I know this is a topic we obviously don't want to get into it in great depth, but you know we can say, well, you know, here is this this woman who preached a sermon, and she did it, you know, with the intention to serve God, and we, but then we also have to say, well, does that make it right? Right? Does that go with God's? order. Uh, I mean, we could give a hundred examples in that light and, and maybe, you know, that one we like to throw out because it's, you know, one that we're not as guilty of. Uh, there's many others that we 
are, where we just say, well, you know, we had to do this. What other choice did we have? And the choice we always have is to entrust our lives into the hands of God, the one who makes good on his promises and does not need our sin to make good on his promises, right? Uh, and But it's a very hard thing. Let's be honest mm-hmm. about that, that, that when it doesn't seem there is a way, we tend to then say, I will make a way instead of saying, God, uh, I want you to make a way. Uh, and so we often, yeah, we end up sinning. And when we look back then, you know, do we repent if we think something was justified? Generally not, right? And that's why we have to understand it wasn't justified. And as you, you know, well put it, we have to take it to the one who actually does justify, to Jesus, uh, who justifies, again, not by saying it's okay, but by taking the wrath of God upon himself because it was not okay, and then offering us his righteousness in place of our sin. And it's it's very true. We you know we will pick and choose um, sins that we <laughs> that we're kind of like we want to justify. I'll I'll justify those myself, and then I'll, I'll let Jesus justify that one. And then, but you know, the devil's very good at whispering in our ears, or maybe even yelling in our ears about the former sins we had that we've given to Christ. I mean, th- this has been this has been forgiven. You know, this has been sin that I've repented of. Maybe you've gone to your pastor, received absolution, you brought it to the Lord, and you know, in repentance, and God graciously forgave. But the devil likes to bring it up again. Oh, you remember that sin you used to do? It's like, no, no, this is gone. And and but yet we will some not talk Jesus language. We'll talk me language. Well, I was young. I didn't really know. And therefore, we lose sight of faith. And we're then, therefore, we are no different than Lot and his daughters, is that a lack of faith and asking the Lord, Lord, help me to make good decisions and holy ones according to your word. Pastor, we have about seven minutes left in our time. I'm going to finish out these verses and see the other side thoughts you have, because it, it kind of repeats. We probably could have gone to the end already, but yet, um, it's good for us to rehash and look back on everything we've read today. Verse 34. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, that you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by the father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And this is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So, Pastor, kind of a rehashing, but we also see a little bit, like you said, about, uh, you know, that still today, that land by the Dead Sea is not good. And still... You have the, the the Moabites are named, and there's not a lot of good stuff that comes from Moab. I mean, Nazareth probably is is nothing compared to the Moabites. So, so Pastor, any thoughts you have? We want to begin with these verses. Yeah, just one last thing I would say because I, I suppose we should not overlook here uh, kind of the method they go about committing the sin, also, which is drunkenness, right? Um, and I was just thinking mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. we just talked about how we justify things, and again, how many people 
will justify some sin because, well, I drank too much, right? And so, you know, I said this to my wife or, uh, you know, I flirted with this girl or whatever, right? And we'll use that as a justification. Uh, And here again, we see this. And as we ponder it truly, we say, no, right? That, I mean, I didn't make anything better. Uh, You know, a lot of the scholars will argue here about, you know, what exactly did Lot know about this going on? Was he so drunk he didn't remember it at all? Or did he remember it at the time? And, you know, when I, I got to thinking after reading a lot of that, like, who cares, right? It's, it's, it's wrong, right? It's wrong in the end. And so again, the fact that he's drunk doesn't excuse uh, his action, even if I would say, even I think you would agree with this, even if he's completely unaware of it, he still uh, is, you know, implicit in this sin. Uh, but then, but then you're right that, you know, we get this at the end, um, and, you know, we get this a lot in the Bible, too, where these horrific stories end with births, right, uh, where there's sort of a little hope at the end. Um, and like, but like you said, we're getting the Moabites and the Ammonites. And again, if you did just a cursory look in the scripture of those two, they obviously become great nuisances uh, to the people of God and enemies to the people of God. And yet again, talking of a mercy that God bestows, it's interesting that when the Israelites are on their way to the promised land, they're actually specifically told to leave, especially Moab, but it also seems also the Ammonites alone on their way there, right? They don't get conquered in the conquest. Uh, and this is again, because God, um, you know, he takes this evil and yet he has uh, a good thing in mind, right? And so I, I don't know, it's almost a way of saying that at least when they're going to the conquest, God still has a softness in his heart for these nations because they are connected to his line. And yet, at the same time, yeah. if I can say one more thing, Lot's yeah, never mentioned. Do. Lot's never mentioned again after this, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, let's not go too too soft here. But I, but I do think it's kind of this interesting thing. Um, you know, people also argue about these names, whether they were given almost as a prideful, hey, look, because, you know, Moab means son of the father. Uh, Ben-Ami means something more like son of the people. But but they both kind of have this hint of how these guys came about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, were, were the ladies doing this because of a lack of faith to kind of just say, look what we did? Or were they actually doing this simply as an admission of what occurred and yet now looking to God to make something of them? I mean, one thing we can say is these certainly do become great nations. They're not wiped out. Moab, and like I said, while Lot himself is never mentioned again, these nations uh, have quite an existence after that. And so even there again, there's there's a mercy of God uh, upon this whole situation. And I and I know that we're going to go there. We have about three minutes left here. Is from Moab comes Ruth, and from Ruth goes down this this wonderful, you know, uh, just this great understanding of despite all the sin, there's that dab of grace that leads us all the way back to Christ, and it, it happens in that situation with the, the 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 grace upon Ruth, and then obviously from Ruth. Um, comes Boaz and Boaz, and they have the lineage to David all the way to Jesus. And you just see all that lay out because at first you say, well, that's just kind of a gross story. 
but then we also see God's grace, uh, not not as a dab. It's a it's a complete covering of this whole story when we were able to look at it that way. Pastor, with about a minute and a half left, your last thoughts and encouragement for us. Yeah, this is one of the reasons we want to know the scriptures well, because we want our minds to go from Moab to Ruth to Jesus, right? And if we don't know some of those stories, we might not get all the way to Jesus. Uh, But we always want to get all the way to Jesus, especially when we have a text before us that is so filled with the wrath of God. Uh, You know, this is every once in a while, you'll read a gospel text uh, in, in the lectionary, and it'll be about the wrath of God. And then you say, this is the gospel of the Lord. And you go, or maybe so, right? Uh, But, you know, we read this and we can go, where is the gospel of the Lord? Well, there it is, right? If you can follow the story from here to Christ, you know that God is going to deal with sin ultimately by pouring out the wrath uh, that he has over sin upon his son, Jesus. And that because of that, we will receive mercy and grace and have life forever instead of the death that we deserve. Pastor Phil Hoppe of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colby, Kansas, Kansas, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 19. Pastor Hoppe, thank you again for bringing us his gifts. So glad to be with you again today. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. Mm-hmm.